Where a scripture for this morning comes from um, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. And I'm going to read it first in Spanish, and then we will read it out. We can read it in English. So it says, Pero cuando vin, vino el cumplimiento del tiempo de Dios, envió a su Hijo, nacido de mujer y nacido bajo la ley, para que redimiese a los que estaban bajo la ley, y al fin de que recibiésemos la adopción de hijos. Y por cuanto somos hijos, Dios envió a vuestro corazón el espíritu de su Hijo, el cual clama Abba Padre. Así que ya no eres esclavo, sino hijo, hijo y también heredero de Dios por medio de Cristo. So we are in the last week of our uh, Advent series. This is the first Sunday after Christmas. And, uh, and then next week, just to give a little teaser, uh, we're going to move into a series called Teach Us How to Pray. I'm going to go through some prayers in the Bible. But through prayer, the church can come together and share one heart and one mind. So we're going to be taking a look at prayer the beginning of 2018, and that should take us into Lent, into Easter, the Easter time. And uh, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and we are, again, we're renewed. Our vision is to be renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods. We also desire to be a multi-ethnic community where everyone belongs. And so... Hopefully, in this place, uh, you may feel, you will feel at home, and uh, that you can have a family here, and that God loves you, and that you belong. And speaking of home, when I think of home, I think of a lot of things, and I think about my mom's cooking growing up, I think about Korean food, and it's really, really spicy food, I think of rice, and more rice, 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 rice. When I was a kid, my metabolism was higher, so I could eat as much rice as I wanted. Now I'm trying to cut down on the carbs, cut down on rice, so that I don't get a rice belly. Um, I mean, I already have a rice belly, so I just need to cut down on the rice belly. Um, but one of my the best memories of home is just having rice all the time in the pot, and the steam just wafting up from the rice cookers, and just having that anything, meat and rice, you know, Side dishes and rice, bacon and rice, chicken and rice, sausage and rice, everything in rice. And uh, that just, anytime I smell, you can smell rice, even though it's a plain white substance. You can smell it, and it makes me, it reminds me of home. And speaking more about home, we are the most comfortable when we're at home, right? Right? When I'm at home, I know where I'm at, I know who I'm who I am, and I don't care what other people think of me, right? So at home, I can kick up my feet on the furniture. I can go, when I take a shower, I can sing as much as I want. I don't care who's listening. I don't care if I'm out of tune. I sing a song in the shower. Uh, just yesterday, I came back uh, from playing Ultimate Frisbee, and I had uh, my long underwear underneath, long thermal thermals underneath my shorts and my shirt. And so I was just stripping down when I was in the house, taking off my shirt and my shorts, and I was just in my long underwear, and I, and I felt really comfortable in my, in my long johns and my thermal underwear. I was like, I'm just going to hang out like this, right? But I would not do that in public. I only do that at home because I feel comfortable, and I want to be comfortable, and I feel secure in who I am, right? Also at home, I feel comfortable burping or 
a number of bodily functions that I would just hold back on, right? If I was in public, I wouldn't just go <clears throat> burp whenever I wanted and offend people, right? I would, no. I would hold it back, and, but at home, I just let it fly. Just let it fly. And so at home, we're comfortable with who we are. We're comfortable with ourselves. We know who we, we know who we are at home. We know where we stand with our family members. Um, so for the most part, we're at ease. But when we're a guest in another home, in someone else's home, that might not be the same. You might be more on eggshells, or you may be more cautious, or more, you know, just wary of just being yourself, or you wouldn't go to a, someone's home as a guest and just open up the fridge, hey, you got anything to drink, got anything to eat? I'll take that, thanks. Right, you just wouldn't do that. And I remember uh, after graduating from college, in the summer, I lived with um, one of my supervisors, my ministry supervisors for the summer. And it was the first time, I'm gonna get real here, it was the first time I lived with a family, not, not the dorms and not my own family. And it was the first time I lived with a family in, in their home that was not Korean, right? And so I had, you know, I was nervous and they used to call me the little mouse, right? They called me the mouse because they would never see me just go in the kitchen and make myself a meal or you know, make a sandwich while I was hungry. I would wait till everyone was either gone, like to work in the school, or I'd wait till late at night and sneak downstairs and make myself food and eat it like a little mouse, right? And I would scurry back to my room and be as quiet as possible and try to be as invisible as possible. And this was actually a stressful way to live. And my hosts were constantly like, Dave, come join us for dinner. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not hungry. You know, because I felt bad. Like, I don't want to impose. I don't want to, like, just sit down and eat the dinner that you cooked. You know, and they were like, you're our housemate, our roommate. Come on, open up. Come on, come on. Constantly inviting me. And I don't know what it was, but just this insecurity. And just this, I'm not at homeness and not sure of myself. And I don't want to impose. And I want to be... Uh, not as large, uh, as small as possible, like a mouse. And so there's a difference between being at home and being a guest or visitor somewhere else. As a guest or visitor, you don't live out, you don't live out loud, as loud as you usually do, right? You don't take as many, um, you don't feel as free um, as you would at home. And this is a natural thing. I think for me, I had an extra amount of cultural baggage and just emotional baggage that was making me a little nervous. Uh, but being a guest is different than feeling at home. And in our passage, Galatians 4, 4 through 7, Paul is addressing the Galatian church. He's addressing Gentile believers. Gentile believers. And this, uh, this letter probably happened soon after the Jerusalem Council. So if you remember in Acts, the Jerusalem Council met because a lot of people, a lot of Gentiles, non-Jewish people, were coming to the faith 
through the ministry of Paul, right? And, and, and they were coming to the faith, but what was coming into conflict was uh, the, the Jews uh, had, still had their you know, dietary laws, they still were required to be circumcised, they still had all of these customs and traditions connected to Judaism, and now here's a new group of people who were Jewish that was entering the Christian community. So the question was, I mean, primarily the question was, do, can they eat the same things that they usually eat? Don't they have to change what they eat? Can, uh, do they need, do their men need to be circumcised? Right? Can't they, don't they have to change in order to enter in? And Paul, whose heart was for the Gentiles, the new people coming in, was saying, hey, wait a second. Those things that you're talking about, yes, they were in Scripture, but they are cultural, right? It has nothing to do with God and God's children. Because what God is about is everyone in the world, everyone from every nation and tribe and tongue belongs to God, is God's children. It's God's creation. Amen? Amen? So why are we putting obstacles and hurdles in front of people saying, you need to change this and you need to change that in order for you to really belong? So the question was, who is inside and who is outside? You get it? For Galatia, in Galatians, for Paul, his primary argument, his primary concern is who is on the outside and who is in the inside. And what Paul is saying is, because of Jesus, because of the incarnation, because of Christmas, and baby Jesus' birth, and God sending his only begotten son to the earth to save us, because of that, there's a new way, right? No longer are people under the law. No longer are people under these rules and regulations and these customs. Actually, the new system is a system of love, is a system of adoption, of family. Are you with me, church? Amen. There is a new reality in Christ. And what Paul is setting up here is one of adoption versus the system of law. And so when you, when you hear law and Paul, oftentimes you may think, oh, he's talking about the Jews or Judaism, right? He's talking about Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments and all of the rules and regulations that flowed out of uh, the, the tradition of the Pharisees and the temple, the temple structure, right? The temple system. But I think Paul is, digging, is going deeper than just Mosaic law. Because Paul, after all, is writing to Gentile believers. He's also talking about Roman law. He's also talking about, in general, the law of the land, the system of society, the system of the ruling government, the system by which everyone is under, whether that's the law of Moses for Jews or, or Pax Romana, right? The Roman law or the Roman culture for Gentiles. He's saying all of us live under the influence of systems and laws that are 
based on merit or based on status. We gain our status, right, in certain ways through work or through our family background or through, uh, you know, who we're married to or who, how much, how many sons and daughters we have or who, you know, who our relatives are. And Paul is saying there's a new reality. This new reality is about the grace of Jesus Christ. And this new reality is about being sons and daughters of God. And because we're sons and daughters of God, we are heirs. That word heirs, meaning we have an inheritance. Right? That means, you know, inheritance in our tradition is when your mom or your father, your parents pass away, you receive as a son or daughter their your inheritance, right? Their property, their money, their finances, their estate, you receive that. And that's your privilege, right? Your blessing as a son or daughter. I I am their son or daughter, so I am bestowed the inheritance. And what Paul is saying, you are a son and daughter of God. You're not a servant. You're not working for God. Right? You don't have to push and press to earn salvation. You just inherit it because of who you are as you receive Jesus Christ. And this is the gift of God. This is the gift of uh, incarnation, Jesus' death and resurrection. And when we believe, we're heirs to this gift. Amen? Amen. So let's look at some things more fully. So in, the ver in verse 4, we see that God, when the time had fully come, when the time had fully come, basically, when, time, when the time was pregnant, when it was the right time, God sent his son. And people often think, okay, what... What was the right time? Was it because the Roman Empire was there? It was the perfect time for, you know, Christianity to spread because there was a peace in the Roman Empire and Christianity could take a hold and spread throughout the world and this and that? Or was it because of this, you know, uh, first century Palestine? You know, what was going on there at that time? So it was the fullness of time? We don't know, right? Basically, the time was full because God sent his son, right? It's the chicken or the egg, right? God sent his son at that time, so it was the fullness of time. Basically, what that means is this is a pivotal time in history. This is history making. God sending Jesus in the flesh at this point of history, at this place in the world. The fullness of time God sent his son. It's important. Pay attention. It's meaningful. It's, it's got impact. And then it says God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Every time I read this, born of a woman, I think of Macbeth because I'm into Shakespeare, right? And the prophecy of Macbeth is uh, the person who is not a woman born, right? Um, and anyways... 
that's neither here or there. But basically, Jesus is not Macbeth, right? Or Jesus is not this person. Jesus was born of a woman, and he was born under the law. What does this tell us? It tells us that Jesus isn't separate from human experience. He's not separate from you, 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 or what any of us experience. He was born, like all of us, born of a woman. There is some question whether I was born of a woman or not, but, okay, that was supposed to be a joke, ha ha, that. Um, not, he was born of a woman, just like all of us, in the flesh. You could, Jesus, if you just take some time to think about this, Jesus cried. For a long time, Jesus cried. Jesus needed to be fed by his mother. Sometimes we forget these things, right? That's the reality of what we believe, that Jesus was human and was God at the same time. But to reflect on the humanness of Jesus, wow, that just blows your mind, right? Jesus was born of a woman, was a baby. And secondly, Jesus was born under the law. Under the law. Just like all of us were born in the law, and if we take my previous definition, the system of the world, right, by which we, we are driven to live, right, whether that's the Mosaic law, whether that's Roman law, whether that's the norms of society, we were born, Jesus was born under the law, under the same heaven as us with the same burdens, right? with the same oppressions, with the same obstacles, with the same stresses, with the same things that make us anxious. Right? Jesus' family had to be refugees from the very get-go, right? because they were being pursued uh, by the rulers who were trying to get rid of them and kill them, so they fled to Egypt. Right? Jesus was born under the law, under the rule of the world. Right? And his life was even in danger. The same dangers that a lot of us face, that a lot of people face in the world. Jesus experienced that. I mean, just even saying the statement, Jesus was a refugee. Right? Where, where ought we to place ourselves? if Jesus was in that place. So God sent Jesus, who was born of woman, under law, to redeem all of the other people who were under the law. He was sent to redeem us, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And this is the NIV, New International Version. And you may notice that the phrase is adoption into sonship. And then because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of son into our hearts, the spirit who called out, Abba, Father. And you're like, oh, there's a lot of male imagery here, right? There's a lot of sons, sons. And other versions like the Common English Bible will say, sons and daughters, right? You will receive 
uh, into adoption as sons and daughters, right? And because you are his sons and daughters. And basically what they're doing is they're just translating it um, to, to be inclusive for our today's hearers. But actually, I chose the NIV because I think it gets the effect. And the effect is, if Paul is talking about the system of the world, the system of the world at the time was a hierarchical-based family unit, right? Where the father is at the top, the firstborn son, the sons, then the other children, servants, slaves. And that was, that was how the household was formulated. And in Roman law, it was the eldest son, only sons were allowed to inherit the family estate. Only sons were allowed to inherit the family estate. So daughters couldn't inherit things, couldn't be heirs. Right? So when they talked about inheritance or heirs, it was only for sons. So when Paul is saying adoption into sonship, he's saying you're being adopted, and he's speaking in the language of the times, right, the system of the world, and he's saying you're being adopted into this system, God's system of inheritance, in that language. And I think this is actually really radical, right? Because usually what Paul does, and sometimes a lot of people get mistaken and stumble on this, is he compares... Uh, the culture of the kingdom with the culture of the time, the system of the time. So if it's the Roman hierarchical, pa patriarchal society, he then offers an alternative. But in Christ, we live this way, right? In this world, you children submit to your parents, slaves submit to your masters, submit, 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 right? Because of Christ, we should submit to one another. And here, he's saying, because of Christ, you, everyone, women and men, get the, are adopted into sonship. If you look at it that way, isn't that more radical? He's saying the benefits that only sons get in this world's culture, all of you get that benefit of sonship. Are you with me? Right? You all become inheritors. And so that's why it says later, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. The other thing is that a slave or a servant could win over in that time, in that culture, could earn... Uh, an inheritance if they were adopted by the father, by the family, right? So if, you know, I came from the outside and I was just a servant, but, you know, my family, I worked for my family, my family, my family, and my master, or, you know, my family began to love me, right? And there was a loyalty that developed, right? And, they, and the father of the family said, you're, I declare you're free and I adopt you. I would actually have the adoption of sonship. So on both counts, the implied here, what we don't read directly is 
what Paul is saying in Christ for women, for those of you who are slaves, you have the adoption of sonship. You have inheritance. Isn't that beautiful? So Paul takes what is already there and makes it even more radical. Right? Blows the top off of it. And then Abba, Father. You hear Abba, Father, Abba, the word Abba, not the, not the musical band Abba. But in Romans, you hear about Abba. That same kind of Paul writes in that same way. We cry out, Abba, Father. And then we also, Jesus in his prayer in the garden says, Abba, Father, take this, lift this burden for me. Take this cup. But not my will, but yours be done. Abba. And, you know, in Korean culture, there's like formal ways of saying things and informal ways of saying things, right? So if I went to my father and I was being formal, I would say, Abuji, right? And, and, but when my son runs up to me, there's nothing formal or respectful about my son. He'll be like, Appa! Or just, ah! Right? So, Appa or Abuji, right? Appa. That's, it's like father or dada or daddy. Right? So, Abba would be daddy. And so when Jesus is saying Abba, or when Paul writes Abba, Father, it's the more familiar term. It's the more intimate term. And so Paul is emphasizing that because of Christ, this new system is here. And it's not one where you're burdened by the law of the world, but you are made free by being at home. You're now at home. You can kick up your feet, wear your long johns, sing in the shower, eat whenever you want to, open the fridge, feel at home. It's more intimate. And you don't have to say, go to God and be like, bow, five steps, bow. Don't forget him, bow, five steps, bow. Father, may I approach the throne? It's That is radical, too. And uh, this kind of radical intimacy, radical connection, radical access to the Father. It's, it's freeing. It's so freeing. Paul's way of thinking is that everyone is under the law, whether you believe it or not. So not just a, it's not just about the Jewish system of law, more than just the Pharisaical law or the temple system, but it's also Roman law, the world system, which deems some inside and some outside, some clean and some unclean, some slaves and some heirs. Paul is proclaiming that in Christ we are free from the system of the law, and brought into adoption in Christ and made heirs. Freedom. And you gotta, you gotta know this in context. Paul was passionate about people who were outside the inside. Right? He believed that God and the Holy Spirit wanted to take the gospel 
beyond Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Not just for the Jew, but for the Greek. That's why in chapter 3, he's like, there's neither, what? Jew nor Gentile, male or female, slave or free. We're all brought together in one place because of Jesus. And this, this means that we should live a different way because of this freedom. This means we should look at people in a completely different way. We don't look at people, other people as other or unclean or outside or that's not my tribe. That's not my people. They're different. They eat different things. They sing a different way. They dress differently. They speak another language. They're from another place. But because of Jesus, we are all sons and daughters in the same family. Amen? Amen. That means if we're really living out the gospel, our churches should look different. It should actually look like this. I'm seeing right now. Diversity. And they say 11 o'clock is the most segregated time. 11 o'clock on Sunday is the most segregated time in America. Right? We need to live out this sonship, this adoption. And know that we're all family. And you hear that as churches, we say, it, we say that at Renew all the time. We're family. And I think there's, there's good intentions behind that in churches today when we say we're a family. Uh, we, may, we mean good things, right? You belong, we want to be intimate, we want to be together. But sometimes what people hear, the effect of saying we're family, welcome to this family, can be totally opposite by setting up an exclusionary culture, right? Actually, only those who have been here the longest belong, you know? And you're still gotta earn your stripes. But in Christ, the reality that Christ is bringing is a new family that blows everything out of the water. And there's a new friend. A new reality. A new reality in Christ. So let me turn this to us. What are we bound by? If Paul is saying Jesus ushered in a new reality contra the law of the world, right? A new reality of family and inheritance and belonging contra the law of the world. For us, what are we bound by? What laws burden us? What is the law of the world that we live under today that is contra the kingdom of heaven, Jesus' family, that he's inviting us to? Do you get the question? What are the social systems or laws we are chained to? Is it the law of consumerism? The law of image and beauty? What are the social, cultural expectations we are enslaved to? Our financial expectations, religious expectations, peer expectations. If you're single, the expectations to get married. Expectations to have your life mapped out and career path set. Expectations of image 
expectations of your class, expectations for your sexuality, expectations of New Year's resolutions. Lose weight, break bad habits, be nicer, love more, be more generous, be more patient, be a better person, exercise more, run 10 miles a day. This is uh, December 31st, right? It's a time uh, where at night people will party and we'll go five, four, three, two, one. My wife and I will do New York time, so we can go to sleep at nine. <laughs> We're too old to stay up that late. But you know, New York, New Year's is a time where people, you know, try to turn a new leaf, and it's good. It's good. Um, the uh, year is ending, and in 2018, I'm gonna be about this. But sometimes New Year's resolutions just fall under our own expectations to perform or to meet or to measure up, right? And there are stresses in themselves. It's another way that we live under the system of law, right? The system of law says, I need to work to gain life. I need to earn my life, my salvation. But Paul is saying, no, you don't earn, you don't do, right? Because of Jesus, you be, amen? amen? It's about identity. And I think that's what the American church is missing. We miss how much it, following Jesus and being a Jesus follower is about our identity. Identity is what really transforms, right? It's not our activity. It's identity. Do you get it? And Paul is saying, because of Jesus, you have a new identity. Amen? And you are going to live differently and be different because of the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so, instead of trying to be skinnier, be more in shape, be nicer, Mine is always, be more patient, be more patient, be more patient. And then I'm always like, God, make me more patient now. Yeah. Right? It's like, patient, 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 patient. I'm not being patient. How about this? How about asking this? Resolve to own your identity in Christ. Resolve to own your identity as a daughter and son of God true daughter and son of God. You are loved. You belong. You are beautiful. You are free. You don't work to earn this. You just are. You just are rest in this. You know, when I grew up, growing up in elementary school, junior high, high school, I, I had a lot of, you know, self-deprecation. I, I didn't like myself because of what, because I was different, right? You know, and kids would tease, you know, all the time, oh, slanty eyes, Asian, right? Go back 
to China, whatever. And, uh, and you internalize those things. Even though, you know, you know, I would like try to do better math and do better in English so I can, you know, say, well, I speak English better than you. Go back to your country. <laughs> but, like, uh, you grow up with this, oh, I'm actually a visitor in this land, even though I was born here. Right? Or I don't feel uh, quite at home, or I don't feel quite as beautiful or quite as good. Right? I'm only half a citizen. But in Christ, I am an heir. I am his son. In Christ, we are all his sons and daughters, and we're beautiful. Amen.